Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, October the 12th, 2021. This is episode 2974 of the Survival Podcast. I have Paul Rizzi coming on today. This is a guy, he's kind of new to the prepper scene. Um, he's been working hard to build up his social influence and things like that. He reached out to me. Uh, about a month ago, and he wanted me to come present at uh, a local uh, kind of workshop that he was doing, which normally I would have said yes to, but this time of year it was like, dude, that's not going to happen. Um, not only do I have the workshop coming up, not as only as this is my most committed and busiest time of year, I decided my wife deserved a 10-day vacation in the middle of all this, so that ain't going to happen. He said, well, like, what can we do? And I said, well, how about you come on the show and we talk about what you're doing, the work you're doing. Uh, how you're trying to develop yourself as a leader and and lead your neighborhood and your local community toward a culture of preparedness. He thought that was a good idea. I thought that was a good idea. And I had the time to do it. So we'll have Paul on in just a moment. He doesn't even live far from me. He's up from Br in Bridgeport, Texas. If you know anything about Texas, Bridgeport and the generalized Azel area. Again, I live nowhere. I, I actually live nowhere. There is no place that I live. It's it's great. It's unincorporated. But Azel would be the area about as close as you would be able to put an idea of where I'm at. So Bridgeport and Azel are not that far apart. So he is kind of a neighbor. Uh, with that, before we get him on, let's go ahead and remind you about our two sponsors of the day today. Sponsor day number one today is JM Bullion. I'm big on crypto. You know it. I keep saying crypto, 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 specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and specifically Bitcoin. Bitcoin first, Ethereum second, everything else distant third. But I, I don't think you can ignore those assets in your life today. I don't think you should ignore gold and silver either. I am not one of these people like, I prefer crypto. I prefer gold and silver. Uh, most of the people that say that have neither, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying. You should have diversity in your investments and in your wealth assurance, wealth insurance program. Uh, gold and silver have never been worth zero. They have a multi-thousand year history of being used as stores of value. Um, and I think they belong in your portfolio. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 5% of net wealth should be in precious metals, in my opinion. And that's in physical metal that you can lay your hands on that no one else can unless you let them. And the place to get it, JM Bullion. Why? Support the show that you love for over 10 years. Give a discount to MSB members. All orders ship free, and if there's a problem, I can contact the president of the company directly by email. I've had other companies that sell silver and gold offer uh, to become sponsors, and they always fail the last one. Can I have the personal email and guaranteed response from your president and or CEO? No? Bye-bye. Right? That's why Jam Bullion's been a partner of ours for a decade now. Next up today, BulkAmmo.com, the other precious metal, copper-jacketed lead. You want to make sure you stock up on ammo because this is the first thing that goes into short supply when the gun grabbers start talking, and boy, they're talking now. Get over to BulkAmmo.com. Remember, MSB members, you also get a discount at BulkAmmo.com, where your ammo will ship so fast. When the when the, the postman shows up with your ammo, you'll be like, what, what is that? It's my ammo already? I mean, it's that fast. It's right on the edge of Amazon Prime when it does what it's supposed to do. Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. All right, folks, and with that, I want to say, hey, Paul, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Thank you. It's uh, it's an honor. I've been uh, recently turned on to your podcast by some friends, and 
probably four months ago. And uh, man, uh, talk about a wealth of information. So uh, it's an honor for me to be on here. Well, hey, I appreciated you reaching out. I was telling the audience during the intro segment uh, of the audio cast anyway that, uh, you know, you're kind of like in my backyard. You're just just up the road a bit, you know, for Texas. And your normal states are like, that's pretty far. <laughs> that's that's up the road. Right. Uh, and you've got some stuff going on. And, and you'd reached out to me about being involved. I'm like, this is not the time of year, but we could do something at some point. Um but other than that, the audience has no idea who and what a Paul Rizzi is. So give us a little bit of your background, man. Kind of like, you know, you're, you're spacing out in study hall in school or something. And, and how's it lead to what you do professionally in life and, and, and moving you toward the, the, the journey you're taking now? Yeah. So, um, I've moved 45 times in my life and I'm 45 years old. I uh, grew up as a military brat, and so my dad was a really good recruiter. So anytime recruitment was low in an area, they'd say, hey, Reese, we need you in Pittsburgh. Hey, Reese, we need you in San Antonio. Hey, Reese, we need you in Grand Rapids. And so growing up as a military brat, I got to experience a lot of this country um, and meet a ton of people, like of every type of person that you could meet. And I moved around a lot on my own after college, um, and I did a lot of different things as far as jobs go. Um, and I've never actually, the role that I'm stepping into right now, uh, kind of as a leader, I've never been drawn to it in the same sense that I am now. I've been a leader in the health industry for about a decade. Um, I did books and events and had a business called Cleanse America. Uh, I was a trainer and life coach, uh, massage therapist and, uh, helped a lot of people, uh, just understand their bodies and healing. Um, but just, um, just recently in the last year and a half, just observing America, the America that I love, um, is being completely different. Um, and my dad told me something one time we had a, we had a talk and, uh, I think I've only voted for Ron Paul, I think. And so the fact that you had him on was awesome. He was like a long time hero, man. That was awesome. But, um, I talked to my dad and my dad told me, uh, he said, Paul, let me tell you something. Since I've been alive, uh, there hasn't been a president that has existed that has changed my life day to day, like me going to the store or me being able to buy something or any of that. And so I would say that in 45 years of existence, that the last year and a half is the first time where I've seen my life changed. And uh, so that has um, inspired uh, me to be a leader in a different way. And uh, I've through all my travels and businesses and friendships, I've, have a good network of people that are also leaders in very specific uh, industries that I believe will be helpful with the things that are happening in America right now. And um, so, yeah, I just feel called to be orchestrating um, leaders to be speaking on every type of subject and basically to create a new system um, because half of the people I believe will be willing to, you know, surrender to this new system that's trying to be implemented. And I believe that the other half, will resist, but they need to be connected in order to resist and to not only just survive, but also thrive. Do, do everything that you can do right now, like get on a plane and fly somewhere, go to the grocery store and buy something. Like all these systems <clears throat> can exist still, um, but they have to be connected. And so that's my intention. And you keep using a word there, leader. And leadership, I find, is a calling. It's not something that everybody's up to. It's not something everybody's interested in. A lot of people discover some of these things that, I'd say a lot of people over time have discovered these things and then they, they either go down a path and become kind of leaders, organizers, or they just start practicing them in their own lives and kind of seek leadership. 
the way where that gets interrupted is I think you're right. In the last year and a half, a lot of people have not discovered it. They've had it shoved right into their lap, down their throat, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, like actually things can go sideways. Um, but in this whole tempest, why is it do you feel called to leadership? What is it about that <clears throat> that, that makes you want to take a far more active role? And from what I can see anyway, rather than just saying, you know, 90% of people that discover this, they decide I'm going to get my life together. Maybe they get involved in community or whatever. But they don't actually take a leadership organizational role. Um, <clears throat> yes, sir. Um, well, I, at first I didn't want to be a leader, uh, but the more that I kept listening, um, you know, it's like I used to be a fireman. Um, there's, so there's leadership in specific roles in sports that I play. There's leadership, how you evolve as a leader in almost everything that I did. And so in the realm that I'm observing mainstream America, which is through social media or the news or the radio or the newspaper, I kept looking for people that were saying the answers that needed to be had for what was going on. And nobody was saying it. And I was like, after like a year, I was like, man, nobody's, nobody's saying it. I, I don't want to really do this because (laughs) it's going to be putting myself out there, but no one is saying the things that need to be said and no one is being uh, proactive with solutions and education and people are in desperate need of it. Um, as most people are helpless. Um, and even the people that I believe are, you know, self-sustaining are disconnected from community. And so usually those even have a hard time if things go down uh, as being disconnected from communities. And so I believe that one of my skill sets is understanding leadership, understanding potential in people, but also creating community. And so that's kind of why I'm stepping in is because I haven't seen it happen. And from what I can tell, you're doing that. So I think the thing is going to take a lot of us um, doing that. And I'm new to the game. And so I'd like to learn from you, actually. Well, you know, it is interesting. And one of the things that's been most disturbing to me in the last year and a half is I've been reached out to by a lot of people to do virtual presentations, on-site presentations, uh, to have them on my show. And you end up in other people's communities, like their Telegram mm. chats and stuff like that. Or you end up doing a live interview like we're doing right here. And, you know, as you can see, at times, people's comments come through. That's really under my control, whether I put them on the screen or not. But we're, we have a live comment feed going. And you end up somewhere like that, and you're observing this. And the amount of defeatist language among the, the supposedly awake-to-the-problem crowd, it's all over. There's nothing we can do. Don't bother with crypto. They're going to shut it down and make it go to – like, and statements made in complete ignorance. And that's why I think we do need more leadership because – Frankly, I have, I have no, no time for anybody's bullshit when it comes to that. Like, if that's where yeah. you are, I don't even know why you're jumping into discussions like this because everything that we're talking about, and I mean these other communities too, is about solutions, like how to put groups together, how to become, you know, reliant on others, but not systems, right? So that we have people that we actually care about, how to put together things like, I had people over at my uh, place this weekend and they were, and one guy was talking about how he has a group that they'll go in together and buy like a whole cow or a whole pig and they take her to butchering themselves and then they split the meat and stuff like that. Like there's so many solutions and like I did people when they're like, it's all over. I'm like, are you a plant? Are you a troll? Or are you just that dumb? <laughs> right. And I don't mean to be so harsh, but yeah, I do. Cause I've been doing this shit for thir- like a lot of people are new to this now. I've been doing this shit 13 years and I've heard every damn excuse I've even heard excuses like, well, I don't want a garden because when the shit hits the fan, the, they'll come take my tomatoes or whatever. I'm like, I, <laughs> just say you don't want a garden, dude. Don't, don't dig for an excuse. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I do know what you mean. Uh, it's pretty neat. I have, uh, you can't look out the window here, but, um, I feel very blessed. I'm part of a community and, uh, I think there's 10 or 11 families out here now on 700 acres and, uh, there's springs out here. There's ponds, there's deer, there's cows, uh, tons of fruit trees. And I'm implementing a lot of permaculture concepts and, you know, um, hiring my friend who's the recon Marine tier one trainer to come and do, uh, how to protect 700 acres with 10 families from a logistical standpoint. Um, and, uh, also just being able to understand like, Hey, my friend has more than enough chickens and I'm planting 40 fruit trees. If things go down, I have a good enough friendship with my friend where he's getting an extra 18 eggs a day. Like I can go get some eggs and he can get some of my fruit. And so to me, uh, the community aspect of it is what's necessary and is how we're able to, you know, be involved in the society as we are today. So. So you've got this community. What are you doing to kind of like look out for your friends and family? I mean, the community's great, obviously, but if you're like me, you probably have a lot of family that like, oh, Paul, it's, <laughs> it's going to be okay. You know, I didn't even think of the dog cartoon where the dog's sitting in the middle of the burning room. He's like, this is fine. <laughs> like, so how are you yeah. trying to engage further with those that maybe are not quite awake to reality on this? Well, most people, um, they're not going to be proactive. They're going to be reactive. And so in the time of convincing people that, you know, things are going down, I have stopped trying that. Um, when things do go down, they're going to react. And at that point, you know, with my family, I'll love them and I'll help them the best I can. But for people in the public, you know, it's a matter of channeling energy. It's like, are you willing to work? Are you willing to be a part of a system and not just take, uh, be a vampire? And so, um, yeah, I could see myself speaking to large groups of people and just educating them about their bodies and about work and about what they need to actually live and survive. But with my family, I would say almost everybody's on board in my personal family. And there's an open invite out here and uh, we can build some teepees or yurts pretty easy and um, build a little geodesic dome that a lot of people could live under. Um, so if things go down. Yeah, my family's welcome. And, you know, if people are willing to work, I think that um, having systems set up where people uh, come and, you know, weed a garden or pick fruit or harvest a deer and then they go home with a deer leg but they did a lot of work to get that deer leg you know setting those systems up yeah one of the things that's woken up some members of my family is they would make comments like well i know where i'm going if something goes wrong and i'm like well what are you bringing <laughs> right <laughs> what are you bringing with you when you come here right like what, what? Besides hunger. Besides do you think hunger. there's just a guest room waiting for you with a store of food and supplies all for you like if you want to, if you want to plan on a doubling up, we can do that. But no, you're not coming here. And they'll like half laugh, and then they're like, "Oh, oh, wait, he's he's serious." Well, yeah, because like you know, I I've been an ant. I'm I'm almost 50 years old. And I've been an ant for 90 percent of my life, and you're being a grasshopper like an irresponsible grasshopper does. And mm -hmm. when in the real story, the ant doesn't take the grasshopper in and and feed him and warm his feet up. The ants let the grasshopper die, then they drag them in the hole and they eat them. And, yeah. and I, I don't really want to look at my fellow man that way, but that is the harsh reality when I have to make a decision, like mm -hmm. the people that are involved go first. And yeah. that's been a wake up call for people because they're like, I think they just in the back of their head had it. Well, I know this guy, you know, he's a, he's my, my, my you know, in-law or whatever. Like we have a big family, man. Like not everybody fits. Right. You got to take some responsibility. Yeah. So um, you've got some stuff going on. Um, 
What are you guys teaching? And you're calling these line two events. What are, what are you teaching at these events? Line two, I'll explain line two because a lot of people ask me. Um, line one is the mainstream conversation. And so line two is essentially a separate conversation and one that I want to have and orchestrate. Um, and uh, so that's what line two is. But uh, like on this past one, we had uh, my friend TJ Reeves, um, neuroscientist John Hopkins, uh, he quit. Uh, he had all the potential in the world before him, but he was uh, doing brain surgery on rats and installing fiber optics and chips to turn the rats off and on in order to understand how to do that for human beings. Um, and when he realized the implications of what he was doing, uh, he quit and he is, uh, you know, dedicated his life to waking people up at this point. And he talks about crypto and decentralized land ownership and buying power of you know, buying in groups and, uh, you know, sovereignty. And then, you know, some of the other things that you can invest in from, uh, guns to seeds to, uh, everything like that, as well as family and God, um, just like the whole spectrum. And, uh, so he was one of the ones that I really enjoyed having. Uh, my friend Stephanie knew said this last one, she taught about kefir, about fermented foods, canning. Uh, she's a homesteader. She has a ranch outside of Stephenville. And uh, homeschools our kids and just a true patriot and really amazing wealth of information. Um, my friend Jimmy uh, Bell, he was a recon Marine, is in Afghanistan for eight years straight as a recon Marine. And a tier one trainer to all the special forces, Green Berets, all that. So really humble. But I had him speak on, like, understanding how to protect your family and to be safe in doing it um, with a firearm. And uh, it was really, really good information. Uh, my friend Luke, um, just an awesome guy. He was one of the speakers, taught about, you know, fishing, how to fish a river, how to fish a stream, the basic setup you would need. Uh, why I like fishing is because it's silent um, and it doesn't cost much. And so if you have a family, you're trying to survive, you have a fishing pole and some line and you know how to catch a grasshopper or dig up a worm, you, you can eat. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Jimmy Bell and then uh, let's see here, Philip. Uh, he's awesome. Philip, he could have taught like 25 classes, but he does primitive wilderness survival. Uh, and he taught how to preserve meat, um, with, uh, doing smoking, uh, and some salt. And so he was on the TV show alone, the beast. And I guess they, he got a muskox and he had to survive a month in, you know, the tundra. Uh, and he, all he had was he had to make his knives out of like flint and he had to like, a little fire and keep it smoking. He's literally the only person from that show that I know about. Oh, really? I've never watched that show. And like all of my people that come here and all that, that do yeah. watch that show, they're like, you got to watch it. And I'm like, I don't know. And that's the one story they tell oh, really? about him killing the muskox with a, you know, a handmade blade. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you, you then like, so I know of him and I, I literally know nothing else of that show. That's pretty cool that he's yeah. part of your group. Yeah, you should have them on. And I have a list of about 32 other speakers right now. Um, I'll probably have around 100 speakers over the next two years because I, if things do go down in America and get very real, I think that will happen within the next two years. Um, and if they don't happen within the next two years, and I think there's a chance we could pull out. Um, but for the next two years, I'm going to get 100 different people and uh, talk about homeschooling, permaculture, crypto, Alternative investing, non-cellular communication, animal husbandry, uh, medicine, um, plant tree identification, survival skills, solar travel, community, all the things that you're already, you know, tapped into. But that's the education that I'll be focusing on. 
And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. I like the delineation between, like, line one and line two on the conversation. Yeah. Line one is everybody bitching. Yeah, and that's, right. that, that's 99% of the conversation, right? Yeah. Um, even my wife, I get on her once in a while. She's like, did you hear this? I heard it. I don't care anymore. Like, yeah. you know, like all the stuff about like problems with, with the COVID shot and, and what have you. Like I already know, like I've been, I've been doing this since it started. Mm-hmm. I, I said these problems would happen before the <laughs> shot was available. I've said it, I've said it and I've said it. And now no one's going to change their mind on it. They're either pro or anti. I'm done with it. And now what do we do about it? And, um, I've been kind of in that solutions mode since I started this show. There's more traction as far as like attracting numbers, bitching about the problems. Oh, right? yeah. and, and I could be a bigger entity than we are today. And we're fairly large. If all I did was sit around and rant, if you look at like the biggest names in kind of the space, they're in the problem, not the solution side. But yeah, I, I don't think you build longevity with community that way. Like when, when people actually listen to you and if you can make them laugh a couple of times and feel better about a shitty situation and mm-hmm. they come away with every piece of content you put out with one or two things they can do in their life, yeah. then you build that loyalty and that longevity, you know, instead of just being kind of a flash in the pan. And a lot of these guys, I don't even dislike what they do. It's just like, okay, you're another person bitching. So right. what do we do? Go vote. Well, okay, we can do that once every two years, right? And yeah. it, it means whatever you think it means, but what about the other, like, 99.9% of your time? Yes, that's very true. Um, and I've come to that realization in observing people uh, is you're not going to change their mind, really. If somebody uh, – and the other thing I've realized, and this goes a little deeper, is that um, – this has always happened, um, censorship to some level, manipulation of information to some level, but this is the highest level that I've ever seen. And I believe it is a, um, it's a full on mind control, um, manipulation of reality. They're orchestrating, um, mass humanity, psychological, spiritual, and emotional reactions to events they're not experiencing in real time. And so if I look at the TV and in my reality, there's my dog sleeping there, my wife working on marketing downstairs, the wind is blowing outside, there's a fire burning in the brush pile, there's a pond. Like that's my reality. As soon as I turn on the TV, that's my reality that I'm creating an internal reaction to. And they're synchronizing that throughout the world right now. And they said that 9-11 was the first time that we went from um, a biosphere way of communicating to a technosphere way of communicating in, in the world. And so the biosphere is like in the past, there was a tsunami in, you know, wherever. And then I take two years to go over there and they say, Hey, a tsunami happened here two years ago. And that was my way of getting the information. And so 9-11 was the first event that had been, was on live TV when the second uh, plane hit the thing. And so that synchronized the world to have a simultaneous reaction to a um, experience that they weren't experiencing in real life. And from that event, now they're synchronizing, whether it's, you know, race riots or whether it's, you know, all the hot topics that I don't even want to mention. Um, it's What they are is if I'm having a conversation with someone and we start talking about that hot, hot topic, media is controlling me. Like they're introducing the piece. They're saying, here's the piece that's going to divide you. And you hear you have the conversation. I'm like, that's not even part of my reality. And if we have to talk about it, you know, I will, but I'm going to give you information in real life. And if you want to respond to it, that's up to you. But I'm not going to bring it up. And I told all the speakers um, that line two is not against anything. 
I'm for freedom. So if you're against freedom, then I guess we have an issue. But line two is not going to be against anything. I believe people should have the freedom to choose whatever they want to do. And that's what America is. And whether I disagree with you or not, but if you start taking that away, then that's a different thing. And so that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm not I'm not all for never mentioning the problem. People need to hear it once in a while to understand why we need the solutions, but we can't focus on it. But you're dead on on the way people are being controlled yeah, with this yeah. this kind of a mass mass delusional hysteria of things that aren't even real. And I'm not saying that that like there isn't a virus. Okay, there's a virus. Right. right. Yeah. But it's it's not to the level of this insanity that we are destroying lives over it, ruining businesses. Last year, so last summer, so we're back to 2020, I was in Florida when, you know, all the insanity supposedly started in Florida with the numbers going up and the wave and everything. I was on vacation. My reality was I was catching redfish and snook and black-tipped sharks. Nice. And uh, I, w- I went up to the hotel room to grab a couple beers and bring them down. And my wife must have been flipping through the TV and just kind of left it on a channel because it was on a channel we'd never have it on on purpose, CNN. Mm-hmm. And I walk in there. And all of a sudden, I'm in this fake world that's about Florida, where I actually am. And they're doing this because most of the people watching it aren't in Florida. So if you talk about something far away, but it's dangerous to you, all of a sudden, everybody buys into it. And it sounded, they were talking about the COVID and hospital and, you know, there's this massive wave and people dying left and right and all. And, like, there's literally, like, a party going on at the (laughs) pool that I can see to my right and at the beach that I can see to my left from my beautiful hotel room and I'm, I'm literally there like like i can't think of the comedian there's a stand-up comedian that was just like one of his bits where he's like <laughs> and he's just looking back and forth like what what like and i'm going this is not what's happening here right and i can just picture like my in-laws up in upstate new york that believe everything the tv tells them huddled mm-hmm. under a blanket terrified that the floridians are going to kill them right and this delusion has has led to where Sitting around bitching about it doesn't help. Boy, you need to be aware of that because I think we've gone from the problem of authorities being the main threat to our way of life to authorities with like mobs of the modern Karens, you know, is, is kind of because you, you started this discussion with the censorship. You've never seen it like it is now. I haven't either, but what I've never seen is a time in history where more than half of the people are aware the censorship is happening and okay with it. Right. Right? Like, it's not like people are going, well, they're not censoring. You have two crowds. People going, you're censoring and it's bad. And people cheer, like half the population, censoring is good. There's even articles now, like, why censoring is great, why you can't do your own research. And, man, if, if you need a reason beyond that to get your shit together, right? I yeah, I, so I guess another, you and I and other people like us, we just go on with solutions, and yeah. I don't know when you're hungry enough, maybe you'll tune in. Yeah, so one other thing is uh, I'm starting a podcast, and my first guest I had scheduled about a year ago, and is one of my friends, and she's a doctor, uh, uh, 35 years now, one doctor of the year, Western Med, family practitioner, amazing, rational, sound, cares for her patients, and I said, I'd love for you to be um, – you know, my first person that I interview and, um, and a year ago, she's like, I'd love that. And so I reached out to her about, you know, two and a half months ago. And she said, well, I no longer have the freedom, uh, to do that. We were taken aside and I won't mention her name or the hospital's names or anything, but they're, they're, yeah, they're big names. Um, 
And uh, she said, I am not allowed to speak against the VE, uh, especially publicly. And I'm now, if any patient comes in, I'm not allowed to report any adverse effects from someone getting a shot to any of my patients or else I'd lose my job. And I'm not definitely not allowed to talk about it publicly, honestly. And so that was the first time when someone I know and trust who is a professional who should be able to have freedom in expressing things that are helping and not helping people. And for her to be threatened with her job after 35 years, that was, I was like, okay, it's, it's time. Like it's time to let's, let's go. Um, so that's another thing. I said people like that, you know, if, if they, uh, if they get to the point where they do decide they're going to separate from those systems, they need to be like going through like project Veritas on the way out, like get audio recordings of that stuff. Because I think that does wake people up moving on. People are say people are woke up. You've been doing a lot of a deep dive into preparedness. What would be your top three things a family should have in order to at least begin to feel prepared? Uh, to me, it's just water, salt, and food. And, you know, usually the food has salt in it. That's good enough. But um, it's, to me, it's just really simple. Um, and another thing is just understanding that most people in America are out of shape, the vast majority. And, you know, if you eat less than you need during the day, practice some intermittent fasting, start metabolizing your fat as a source of fuel, your eye, eyesight will improve, your um so there, everything will improve in your body, really. And so not only is to me, it's just simple. Water is the essential. Um, we have a fantastic well that produces a ton of water and the water doesn't even need treatment. It's just wonderful out here. Um, so to have a, uh, you know, a system for a hand pump system for a generator to connect to those um, water catchment systems. Um, I'll just, you know, buy 10 pounds of salt. That'll last you a long time. Uh, my wife and I have a good storage of food, um, but we also have community. Um, and so, uh, yeah, those would be the three things I would say. Being connected to community and just water and food. I would say guns and things like that, but you said three. There's probably 25 things, you know. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, I try to break it down into six categories. Mm-hmm. So when we, we look at, like, wilderness uh, survival training, you're going to be taught water, food, shelter, uh, fire and security, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and, and the reason we stop with that fifth one is because the sixth one is health and sanitation. And in the wilderness, you just go behind a tree, maybe kick a little dirt over, take mm-hmm. a dump, cover it up, and you go on about right. your business and you try to stay fed and watered and take care of yourself and do basic first aid. So we don't get big into health and sanitation there. When you start living in communities and you have you know, dozens and dozens of people living together, even just regular suburban neighborhoods. <clears throat> Waste is a problem. Keeping people healthy during a lockdown is a problem, et cetera. So uh, we add those. So everything to me springs off of those six needs. And if you can sit down and assess those needs and say, where am I weakest and shore those up, then you kind of fine tune it down to the individual family and community level. These are the things we need to worry about. And then you temper that with, um, what what can go wrong where you are like right. you and I might have an occasional once a century massive ice storm, you know, that just happened and, you know, two weeks of temperatures below zero or below freezing, uh, but it's not usual. And so we're not going to worry about blizzards in Texas. We're just, you know, right. real three week duration, white out blizzards. But if you live in upstate New York or, you know, North Dakota, you might want to consider that as a problem. We're not going to really worry about landfall hurricanes. We're 350 right. miles from the coast. We have other 
things. And then we have the universal things. So you kind of tamper with that. And then you add to it, like, all the prepper shows, like, my biggest problem with them would be, you you know, because I knew a lot of people on those shows, and they certainly were not the people that, as they were presented to be these whack-out loons. And, but the biggest setup in them that just was unrealistic was, you know, my name is so-and-so, and I'm preparing for a coronal mass ejection of the site. Right. Like no one's doing that. If they're actually a prepper, you're preparing to deal without systems of support. But, you know, food, water, salt, that's a pretty good place to start, especially if you have if you have the natural resources to resupply. Yeah. Like we lived that way for a lot of human existence, man. Right. Like it, I mean, Roman soldiers at one time were paid in salt. So that's one that people kind of forget, I guess. Yeah. The salt's a big one. And I also, uh, about, it was a little over a decade ago in San Angelo, Texas, off Lake Nasworthy. I had a little one-bedroom um, house there, about 600 square feet, and I lived for a year with no electricity as an experiment, and it was the most peaceful year of my life. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, and I learned so many things, you know, how I was, at the time, you know, I was addicted to the radio, even. I didn't, I grew up without a TV, so I feel incredibly blessed that I, um, grew up without a TV and I've had a TV for you now six years of my life. And, uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily made my life any better. Um, but yeah, living off grid with no electricity, uh, just being alone with your thoughts, being aware of what's influencing your thoughts. And then also, I mean, taking cold showers, uh, they get really, really short and very specific areas in the wintertime when you're taking cold showers, but took cold showers for a year and just lived in silence and, uh, my eyesight was tremendous during that time because I would go to bed whenever the sun went down and I'd wake up whenever the sun came up. And, uh, you know, we stretch our eyes with this, you know, fake light, um, you know, going till midnight or 11 or 10 fluorescent lights. And uh, our eyes are muscles that are meant to be synchronized with the sun going up and down. Um, my sleep was better. My dreams are better. Um, at that time, I don't agree with this diet anymore, but I was also eating 100% raw vegan. Uh, so everything was living. So I didn't even have to use a, um, a stovetop. Uh, it would just be, you know, salads and I had a garden. I was trying to eat most of what I ate from the garden and that did not work out very well. Um, <laughs> I mean, no. you do get full of squash and tomatoes and, uh, Swiss chard pretty quick. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a good experience. Also fasted a lot during that time, sometimes up to like a month at a time, just doing liquids only, just learning like truly what limits can the body go to as far as like how much, how long can I go without food? Um, and so that information, I believe in the future could be very, if there starts to be food shortages, could be very valuable to people just understanding not to panic. Like, Hey, if you haven't eaten in two days, like your body's going to start producing ketones, drink some water, get your head game on straight. You don't have to panic. Uh, go out into the woods and if something looks interesting, take a tiny bite of it, uh, spit it out. If you have a reaction in your mouth, uh, don't eat it. If you, um, don't have a reaction, eat a little tiny bit, swallow a tiny bit, wait for 10 minutes. If nothing happens in your stomach, then, you know, eat a full leaf of it. And there's ways to go into the forest where the forest can teach you. And as long as you don't rush into it, just starving, only eat all this entire plant, see what happens, you know? So, um, I've seen myself in dreams, actually. It's kind of crazy talking to, like, groups of 50,000 people, just basically telling them not to panic because I believe that will be the first reaction for 90% of people who are unprepared is full-on panic. Um, so, yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, yeah. My old man used to say that if if something ever really went wrong and all the lights went out, fifty percent of the people would lay down and die. Forty percent of people would panic. Ten ten percent of people would uh, be predators upon the forty percent. <laughs> those, those are the ones you have to worry about. Yeah, you know? very true. Yeah, um, you you did a lot of work with uh, human body, with understanding uh, the needs of nutrition and things like that. Um, what are your thoughts on how knowledge of the human body relates to survival situations or just even stressful situations like we're entering right now? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> to me, being in physical, like really good physical shape, uh, every person can do that. They can set a goal right now. And I don't care if right now you can't get up and you can't walk 100 yards without being out of breath. Walk 50 yards. Tomorrow, walk 60 yards. Next day, walk 100. Uh, take a break. Listen to your body. Walk, you know, 200 yards. Walk a quarter mile. In three three weeks from now, you're walking a mile. And so, I would encourage everyone to get in the best physical shape that they can. So, at 45 years old right now, um, I just set a new goal this last month. And so, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm doing 150 pull-ups a day. Uh, 150 lunges a day and I'm building a geodesic dome and I'm doing work at work and then I'm walking with my wife or walking around the land, always, you know, burning brush or clearing land or working uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, doing 250 push-ups a day, 300 crunches, kettlebell swings, uh, mostly body weight stuff. Um, and I have, you know, bikes here. I love bikes because they're silent and, you know, if need be, you can hide them in the woods. You can go for a long distance on a bike silently. You can go off road. Um, you can throw it over a fence and, uh, it's a good, good thing to have on your property as a bike. Um, and, uh, kind of the things I already touched on as well, as far as just, um, you know, developing an intuition with your body where, in every situation, you know what the most optimal choice is to make. Um, so in this situation, uh, interesting story, as an example, um, when I was 100% raw vegan, I did it for almost two years, and I was very, very um, uh, dogmatic about it and judgmental. And it was a while ago in my life, and I learned a lot of lessons from that. But um, one of my friends invited my daughter and I out to – it's uh, where the Devil's River and Dolan Falls meets, um, kind of South Texas, have 20,000-acre ranch, just gorgeous property, uh, old Indian caves, pictographs. Um, and so they said, we're going to let you stay at this cabin, you and your daughter, and it's right off this river, uh, right off the Devil's River. And um, we're going to go back to the house and stay there. And uh, it was about, I don't know, eight or nine miles away Um and this is really rough. There's nobody out there, rough terrain. And so that night, just like this crazy storm blows in. And then this flash flood happens. It's me and my daughter. I think she was like five at the time, maybe like four and a half, five. And um, and the river just goes from like literally two feet to like 10 feet, almost coming up to the house. And in order to get to that house, um, I had uh, we had to go over like three little streams and, um, and so there was three straight days of just torrential rain. And so I had only packed, like they were coming in the next day and bringing food. And so I'd only had like this little bit of food to, 
to pack. And it was like, you know, coconut juice and goji berries and, you know, all these things. And, uh, and like a sprout salad with avocado and spirulina, you know, I was like super into that at the time. And, uh, so I'd eaten that and, uh, and then it was like day two and my daughter's getting hungry and, uh, I'm getting hungry. And, um, and I'm saying, wow, these are, uh, there's no way we're crossing those rivers with this rain. Like I'll just get swept away and we'll die. And so at the end of the third day, uh, the rain had stopped. And so I got my daughter and, um, we started walking <clears throat> and it was about, you know, a 10 mile walk and it's summertime in Texas. One of those black storms comes in that just dumps on you. And, uh, it was hot. It was, you know, hundred degrees humid from the rain. And, um, as I started to leave, uh, my body, uh, the people that had that night, they had cooked up some fajitas, some beef fajitas, and there was uh, tortillas and beef fajitas in the fridge. And that was the only thing because they didn't leave anything there. So they had just cooked that. And my body with everything inside of me, like was like forced me. It was like, go inside eat that meat right now and eat those tortillas right now because your food's going to metabolize so quick and you're going to get weak in this heat. So my, like my physical body like overrode what my dietary dogmas were like trying to make me the healthiest person. It's like, no, this is, you're going to survive. And so I think that when survival kicks in for people, there is an intuition that comes up and just to tap into that, listen to it. It'll make you a better hunter. It'll make you better at finding water. It'll make you better at communicating with people what you need. Uh, and that's what ketones actually do in the, in the body is they, they make your brain work better. Your eyes work better. Um, all those things, but yeah, it's, it was interesting. It taught me a lot of lessons. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a fan of vegan or vegetarian lifestyle. I think that humans were designing meat. You can use ketones. So I think you, maybe you've come around to that. Uh, yeah. in your journey for yourself. Um, I, I, am probably 95% carnivore at this point. Dennis, Dennis Leary had a famous line from his comedy bit and I just used it this week. And it was that, uh, it was, uh, being a vegetarian is a choice. Eating meat is instinct. Mm. And I think there's that that's true for humans. And I think it's, it's beyond just like reducing type two diabetes in America. Like, cause we talk about it that way a lot. Cause that's certainly a, like not getting type two diabetes, totally a survival topic, whether people want to accept that or not. Right. Yeah. But I think there is more of this intimate connection component and being in touch with your body and being aware that we are predators. I mean, that's what we are. We are predators mm-hmm. in our natural state. And, and some people try to say, no, we're scavengers. We're that too. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when, when ancient man came along, uh, on a kill that lions had and they were able to run the lions off, they took what they could get from the kill. But we also have been predators our entire life. And I think being, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing my whole life. And I've all, you talk about being calm. I've always been more calm about food. And it's not because I know I can grab a rod or a net and go get fish. <clears throat> I think it's because I'm connected to that part of me that is that. And then, then that makes you more connected to everything else. Yeah. Like, I think if you are someone who's hunt, hunted your whole life and you, you're not hunting and you're not scouting because you're somewhere you're never going to be able to hunt. When you walk through the woods on just a hike, you look at the woods differently than someone that hasn't, if that makes sense, in, in both an optical way, but also in like an all senses way and in an energetic way. Mm-hmm. Like, if you've ever been in a tree stand, you're hunting with a bow, so you actually need a close up shot and all. 
and you, you, you're sitting there and you get the feeling that's probably very similar to the feeling of I'm about to get eaten by a lion, <laughs> but it's, it's a little less, uh, aggressive where all of a sudden you don't smell anything. You don't hear anything. You don't, and the hairs right here just come up and it's because that deer's there. You don't know where it is. You start to kind of get a bearing on the energy, and I think he's over there. And then you hear one little paw in the leaves, and you're like, oh, there's that. And you knew he was there a minute or two before anything audible or visual or, or scent-wise gave it away. Like, I think that's a big reason that I, I, I love for people to experience hunting, and if not hunting, at least fishing, for a survival skill, I'm with you. Fishing's better because it's easier to do. You have more options with it, longer seasons. And if we're in a survival situation, give me a cast net and I'll feed you. Yeah. Right? right. I mean, like, but I think there is something to having that t- connects with the body. And I think like permaculture principles, taking care of livestock, all of that. Um, I, I even think grounding has something to it when we're not dealing with our sand spurs in the summer and walking around barefoot and actually being connected to the planet. Like, we are designed yeah. like we evolved that way. We didn't evolve with Reeboks, right? And and right. and freaking earbuds in our head, right? Like we evolved walking around, experiencing the planet. And I think a big reason that it's so easy for us to be controlled by sociopaths and psychopaths, which is who's controlling us, mm-hmm. is because we're disconnected from that. So we want to make <clears throat> the deal to remain comfortable in our misery. I heard a rabbi one time. He was telling a story about if humans were like lobsters. That we, you know, we would, we'd be totally screwed now because like a lobster, like it gets very uncomfortable. And then once it's very uncomfortable, it has to go through a shedding process where it becomes vulnerable. So Mm -hmm. it goes and it finds a little cave and it hides because it doesn't want to get eaten by the other lobsters while it's vulnerable. It kicks off its shell and it grows. Mm -hmm. But if humans were lobsters today, when we got uncomfortable with that growth, we'd go to a psychologist or a counselor and they'd give us a pill. Mm-hmm. It would make the discomfort go away and make us not shed our shell and not have to be vulnerable and we would never grow. And I think there's a ton of that in the fact that we have disconnected from everything that's actually real and surplanted it with everything that's totally fake. Like yep. it's the, 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 the narrative on your television, even with some truths blended in, the totality of it is fake. It's fictitious. It's not real. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, they say that a lot of the reasons that we uh, have lost our ability to think in the way that you're describing is because we're no longer under the sky or under the trees. Like I'm inside of a box right now. A box has structure. It's man-made. It's a limit to your understanding and intuition with nature. And, um, yeah, it's uh, I taught grounding for a lot of years. The earth gives off negative ions, you know. Uh, inflammation in the body is positively charged ions. We make connection with that. It neutralizes that positive charge, increases circulation, uh, reduces inflammation. It's just really good for your heart. Um, I've taught that for years. I used to walk barefoot for about six months in Texas, and it just just stopped being fun. (laughs) Texas is not – you go to Colorado, California. When I lived in California, I mean, I did three months barefoot in California, no problem. Like, Texas is different, man. Yeah, I got, a guy, I got a guy come here and intern for me for like nine months. And yeah. after like three weeks of being here, he said, everything here <laughs> wants to bite me, stab me, stick me, yeah. poke me, yes. sting me. Like there's nothing here. Like even like the live oaks. Right. Like, I, I used to walk around a lot in flip flops. I stopped doing that because live oaks don't have thorns. But the way the branches are on the parts that fall off the tree, they'll go right through a flip flop. Oh, like yeah. a nail, like everything pokes, stabs, bites, stings, et cetera, man. 
Yeah, so I'm all for just sitting on the ground now, and uh, if I have a nice little grassy spot that I'm growing, I'll take some shoes off. Um, but yeah, what you're talking about, I feel grateful. I was homeschooled for a year um, whenever I was 12 years old, and during that year, my parents, I uh, was outside of uh, San Antonio, a little town called Elmendorf, and we were in the country, <clears throat> and every day at noon, I would get done with school, and I'd go out for three or four hours, and um, with little 22, 18 shot 22, and I'd hunt, you know, squirrels and rabbits and, uh, dove and made Indian traps. And I built myself a log cabin, you know, I skinned all the rabbits and tanned their hide, made myself hats and gloves. And like, I mean, it was so much fun. And like just doing that at the age of 12, now at the age of 45, I know that it's in my DNA in the same way you're describing. And I know that 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 I can tap back into that if I ever needed to. It's like, okay, I can put together some logs and pack some dirt in there and, you know, make some traps. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing you were describing. I, I do. I think it's innate to what we are and who we are. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is. It, it, I, I think when we do this, it's not like we become that. I think we kind of discover that. And when you discover something, it was always there. You just didn't know it. That's kind of the difference right. between becoming a thing or discovering a thing. And, and, and that is who we are. That is what we are. That's we wouldn't be here if we weren't because mm -hmm. all the things that we think about today, all of this modern diet construct of the food, food pyramid and living on grains and stuff. This is a modern freaking luxury, right? It, it, except it's a luxury that kills us. But yep. pe people think of it being like, you know, you're, you know, kind of your daily bread going back to biblical times and all. Well, it kind of does. But that's like the dawn of civilization, like the dawn of civilization till today, which may be toward the end of it, is uh, is a fraction of a percent of the time humans have walked this planet. Okay. Every time we think we're like, well, we've been here for 100,000 years. They go, oh, wait a minute. Wait, it's like 125. Oh, wait, 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 We found some, you know, fossils and it looks like we've been here for like 220. Like, well, wait a minute. Like, it just keeps going back and back and back. And I don't know how far back that is, but we know like from some stuff they found recently in, in like Siberia area, it's at least 300,000 years. Mm. So you've got, they say 10,000 years of civilization. Let's be honest. It's more like three of what we think of where the majority of civilization's been that way or the majority of people have been that way. And then you got like this other like 300,000 years. Like I think that's had more of an impact on us physically and our evolution as humans, no matter how you believe we started, like we still go through like, you can do it with your own farm animals. If you breed them and you select traits, you watch evolution happen in front of you. Um, that's a bigger part of who and what we are. Like there's a reason we have a liver that's like the size of like a regulation football. Right. Right. And we don't have a crop like a bird because we're not supposed to eat, you know, hard to break down seeds like a bird. We're supposed to eat meat. That's what livers do. They metabolize meat. And when we get disconnected from what we are, all kinds of trouble happens and you see it in animals. We take a lion that lives out in the Serengeti. Nothing can touch it. It lives until it's too old and its sons take over and break its back or it goes off and dies, but it lives a fantastic life. It's hungry. It goes and kills something. It just does its thing. We put it in a zoo. They start feeding it a prepared diet and it gets diabetes. Yeah. Right. And then we get diabetes and we don't see the connection and you can only not see that connection. If you're so disconnected from reality that you actually think you're different than a lion. Right. So when, when it comes to natural mm -hmm. law, like, of course, we're different from lions. Lions are badass compared to us in some ways, mm -hmm. right? We live longer, though. We're smarter. They're, they're more energetic. But 
we're both subject to the same natural laws. I saw a show like where a lion kind of screwed up and didn't really get the kill shot right, and it got kicked in the mouth mm. by a wildebeest that normally – it even ended up killing the wildebeest, but it ended up dying of, of infection and inability to feed because it was it, it lost. That's natural law, and we somehow want to wash our hands from natural law, and it no longer applies to us. There's, and that's why we separate nature from humans, right? Like the wilderness is a place humans shouldn't really go, where if they mm. do go, they really shouldn't do anything there, as though we're not part of this system. Mm-hmm. Like we're separate from it. And it's, 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 it seems like it's oversimplifying, but like, man, so many of our problems go there. Jeff Lawton says all the world's problems can be solved in a garden. And I, and I know from talking to him, that's what he means. It's not just if everybody had a garden, we'd all eat. Right. No, it's like that connection is why we are so screwed up as a species because it's lost. Yeah, I agree with that. You no, know, I used to teach. Lots of classes on eating. It's a very interesting subject, and I would say that um, 95% of people in America right now eat for the chemical that release that happens after they eat. They don't eat for the substance of the food, like the macro and micronutrients. They're eating to get a chemical reaction or to appease an emotional state or to uh, fall in line with the routine and rhythms of modern America. It's like it's dinner time, it's lunchtime, it's so now it's time to eat, or now it's a movie, or we're having a potluck, and now it's, so instead of their body telling them, they're letting society uh, and addictions dictate um, what they put in their mouth. And we live in America. If I go to Kroger in Alliance and you know spend you know, $200, I can get some really, really tasty things that kings couldn't have eaten, um, you know, uh, 100, 200, 300 years ago. Um, you know, I can get the best olives in the world, the best chocolates, spices, uh, breads. And, you know, and if I do nothing but eat those extravagant foods, I'm going to gain weight and, you know, create a disease. Um, and so there is, you know, there's a balance. I love a beautiful meal. I love a good chef. But, um, you know, breaking... Free that I used to teach people about intuitive eating, and that's basically breaking free and learning to distinguish between a healthy craving and um, an unhealthy craving. And so people, whenever I start teaching this, they want well, craving a pizza. It's like, okay, well, maybe, you know, there is an overgrowth of yeast in your body that wants to be fed. And so that's giving you a message right now that says, hey, I need some gluten, I need some sugar, I need some, um, you know, pasteurized cheese with yellow dye number two. Uh, now, is that truly what your body needs right now? Or is that, um, or is that like really your addiction or? Your- yeah. I mean, heroin addicts crave heroin. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean that heroin is the solution to the problem. Right. You know, I, I also think like there's a part of this that is biochemical wired into us for a reason. And that is that, we are biochemically engineered that if we taste something that's high in sugar to gorge on it. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason for that is, you know, year round, abundant, easy to obtain carbohydrate does not exist in nature. Right. Not for humans. It doesn't <clears throat> exist. Like even people say the tropics are fruit everywhere. Before we cultivated all these trees and made all these different orchards and stuff, not year round, like, Fruit goes through cycles and we're designed to put on fat and then to go through periods of fasting and burn it off. And when you take away the cycle and you leave the biochemical programming and we don't use rational thought to go, now that I have an abundance of figs, I can't eat four pounds of them every day. Then we end up with all these modern diseases. And it's if we're not taught that as children, 
then it's completely understandable that we wouldn't recognize the behavior when we begin to engage in it. If you were brought up in a family full of heroin addicts and everybody did heroin and they taught you how to safely do heroin, you'd right. think, I was crazy for telling you to stop doing heroin. You'd think I was nuts. Mm-hmm. Who is this idiot? You'd be like, really? the reason everybody in your family is dead by 48 is you guys do heroin your whole life. <laughs> no, that's just yeah. how long people live, you know? Yeah. They'll make a drug for it someday. They'll call it anti-heroin or something. You know, like, right. that's... That's literally the psychological state of human affairs. Um, I want to move on, though. Um, what do you think America needs to do to kind of strengthen itself? Like, I am not a blind patriot by any means. I'm not big on political solutions. But I'll admit this is not the country I grew up in. Like, it is, it's not even just not the country. I think every generation, by the time you start to put gray in your hair, you feel that way. But, no, this is not... Like, I, I honestly believe if, like, if my grandparents were my age right now, there would be politicians hanging from street lights. Like, I, I think that's what that generation would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, th- I don't think that's the solution either. But, damn it, we need to do something here. Yeah. <clears throat> and this, is, this one is really tough for me. It's probably one of the harder things that um, – I've had to try to solve in my brain uh, as a personal trainer. I learned one thing and that is you can give someone the perfect workout. You can give them the perfect, you know, write down the perfect diet for them to lose weight, help them understand their body type, understand metabolizing fat and sugar, um, understanding a lot of things, but I can never make a person have desire. Um, and so right now in America, when I'm, and I've traveled a lot the, my whole life, but especially in these last, two years just to see like if headlines and the everything I'm hearing, if that aligns with reality. And whenever I'm traveling around America, there seems to be a contentment with just existing like with like, there's nothing as long as they're alive and they can watch their TV show and then they can go to the store and get their food and they're, they're content. And, um, and so I don't know how to, especially the younger generation, like I, I'll, I, it's just like astounding to me. Um, I have a daughter who's 22 and she is an amazing, hardworking, awesome child. And, um, but anytime I meet someone ages like 13 to even 40 now, even being a project manager and doing these home builds with Hayes brothers, like nobody wants to work. Like <laughs> literally like, I'm like, do I need to go and do it for you? Like you're the owner of the company. These are people that work for you. You're a professional. And like that, and like people, even at like watching people at restaurants or coffee shops or anywhere, it's just like, it's just like every, if it stretches them a little bit, then it's like, it makes them uncomfortable. And so to me, that is going to be the hardest thing right now for Americans is to get over just being so comfortable. Um, and, uh, but I do believe that there are still uh, the people out there that see what you're talking about, that see what I'm talking about and that are doing exactly what we're doing, even silently in their own communities, not doing podcasts, not getting on TV, not on the radio, but they're silently doing that with their own families. And I'm hopeful that enough of those people are still existing right now that will be investing in a foundation that even if America does whatever it does, that there's going to be a foundation there that says, okay, we still know how to survive. We still have books. We still have tools. We still have 
this land. We still have community. Like we can rebuild and whatever the chaos is that happens, um, we have enough people that still understand. And I think we're really close to that not being the case in America. Uh, that everybody is just going to be so content or it's going to be, this is like, they're like doing mass programming to basically get it towards majority thought. And then majority thought is going to make the fringe seem crazy. And so then those crazies will be the stability, but they're, no one's going to want to listen to them until things actually happen. Um, that's kind of the place we're at in America. So what I'm trying to do is to be sound, to be rational, to be intelligent about creating uh, education and solutions. Um, and if people want to invest in that and to and see the things, then that's great. And if they don't want to invest in it, then if something does happen, they'll be like, hey, my friend Paul, who I thought was crazy, uh, he's actually been doing these events for two years. And, um, you know, he's been talking about this and it's actually happening. And I truly pray that our nation rebuilds itself, that it becomes strong, that we don't have to end up, you know, without electricity, the grid going down, uh, everything collapsing that we know. And I don't know if that's just inevitable at this point um, or if we can sustain ourselves, but I'm at least doing my part right now. What I, what I feel like you're describing is something I've been talking about for a long time, and, and it's a single word. And it is, what do you call an organism that its natural state is being free and liberated that willingly accepts captivity. And that word is domesticated. Mm. And what the American people need is a rewilding. Mm. We have become a domesticated animal and you do it through food and shelter. If I go out into the forest and there's a, a wild sow out there, totally wild, willing to kill me to protect her piglets, and I pop her right behind the ear, and her little piglets are so little they're barely weaned that they just kind of sit there, and I go pick them up by the scruff of their neck, they'll try to bite my finger off. And if I let them, they'll do it even that little. Mm-hmm. But if I throw them in a cage and I start feeding them, and I can, by the time they're seven, eight months old, big enough to harvest his small roaster pigs. I can lead them into uh, a truck and take them to slaughter. I can breed them. I can have their babies laying on their back and having their bellies rubbed in mm-hmm. one generation. Oh, in yeah. two generations, they'll even start to look like they're domesticated again. They'll start to turn you know, pink in colors, and they'll start losing their black. And I can train them to the point where I can open the fence, and they might go out and get in trouble. Right. But they'll come home every night. Mm-hmm. I had wild ducks living here for a while. I had mallards. I had to shoot them all because they kept crapping in my pool because they could fly into the pool and the domestic ducks couldn't. But they yeah. came out of the duck house every day and they flew, uh, you know, like a one mile circle. It was cool to watch them fly. They do about three laps. They'd set their wings and they'd land, but they were domesticated. What domesticates a creature? Food and shelter and the promise of comfort. Yep. And that's what we have. We have a society so hell bent on comfort and we have never had a time in history, at least for now, where comfort is so easy to acquire. Right. Like people that, that would be killing themselves working because they'd have no choice live on state welfare. And I don't mean that just on the poor side. From the poor to the ultra rich, state welfare <laughs> is inflated everybody's ability to live a comfortable freaking life. And I don't have a problem with comfort. I have a problem with guaranteed comfort. Right. If I have guaranteed comfort, what's my incentive to work? What's my incentive to be a wild human? Right. Mm. And I think maybe the better word is, word is feral. We mm. need feral. And, and I picked on the pig, but the pig is the model, right? Like you have a, a, a place and you keep cattle on it and they get out. 
They go down the street. They take a dump in your neighbor's yard. They cause you trouble. The sheriff, you know, rounds them up and brings them back, gives you a fine. But the cows don't really leave. They don't really go feral. You let those pigs get out more than a couple times. Right. If that pig finds a hole that much bigger than it needs to get through, it gets through it. It goes wild. It goes feral. And it starts living like a pig again. And we mm-hmm. behave like cattle instead of pigs, you know. And I, I think we need to be more pig-like. I know that sounds crazy, but I think we do. We need to be more pig-like. Be the pig, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um, what do you think the difference is? Because we talk a lot about solutions, but we also do talk about the problems. Mm-hmm. And when you're aware of all the problems, it's mm-hmm. a shitload. You can see where the I, I get on the defeatist people, but you can see where you get to a point like, man, there's just – They've got all the ba- – they're, they're controlling everything in the world now. How do you balance being fully informed versus living in fear? How do you stay on one side of that? Informed and, react, you know, and, and, and proactive toward your solutions versus fear and reactive into compliance? Right. Yeah, that's uh, – to me, vast majority are controlled by fear right now. Um, nearly a, like so many people that it's almost mind-boggling to me. And if I don't live in fear, a lot of times people will think that you're insensitive or that um, you're conspiracy theorists if you don't live in fear. And um, so it's uh, it's really crazy. Um, so how I live is at all times I'm aware of the best case scenario and the worst case scenario and building a house in going out and mowing my yard, like I'm aware that I might step off and step on a copperhead. What am I going to do with that? Am I wearing the right shoes? Am I wearing sandals? You know, there's a million things we do during the day with the full awareness of both outcomes. Um, And I always try to shoot for the most positive outcome and hope for the most positive outcome, but also be prepared for the worst. And so um, to me, whenever people start living in fear, that is its own prison. And it also limits your ability to be kind of what you were describing with the rewilding or the feral aspects of ourself, where now if I'm living in fear, something else is dictating to me what I can and can't do. And it takes away my sovereignty, my ability to use my intelligence, my intuition, my um, my wisdom uh, in order to solve this problem. Instead, if you're in fear, whatever the solution that fear is selling, that's what you're buying. And um, so I think that more than any time since I've been alive, fear has controlled uh, people to the degree that I have stopped comprehending. Um, it's like I it's like I'm I'm watching. um like, you know, when you read the, you know, 1984 book growing up uh, in high school or whatever, it's, it's like watching that in real life. It's like, you, and it's almost, and people that are really, really smart. And so it even got to the point where I'm like, am I mind controlled? Like, like, am I the one? Like, I'm, if, if they're not willing to look at it, if they're mind controlled, then am I willing to look at it? And so I was looking at all the information that's existing that's creating fear in our world. And I said, well, if I'm mind controlled, then here are some clues. Uh, and so anytime in reality where there is a story that happens and then part of that story is taken out and not allowed to be told, then that points to something besides the truth. And right now in reality, all information that people are reacting to uh, is um, partial information. And so I don't believe that I'm operating off partial information. In fact, I have uh, many friends who are philosophers and doctors and nurses who disagree with me on some very some of the subjects that have existed with uh, COVID and vaccines. And um, and I have intentionally reached out to them 
and I see them post on Facebook or something, and I realize how divided that is, and it never leads anywhere. So I'll private message them and say, hey, I'd like to set up a phone call with you. I'd like to share some things that are on my heart, and um, I'd like to ask you questions. I want you to ask me the questions in response because if I'm wrong about something, I want to know, and I'm hopeful that you will have the same posture in this conversation that I'm having. And if that happens, then maybe we can actually get somewhere. Um, and so that is really um, how I've approached this current last year and a half is instead of making it public, which creates division, I invest in people privately and say, hey, I'm coming into this and I'm open to being wrong. And I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong, but here's the information I have. What information do you have? And maybe it sways you, maybe it doesn't, but I've really thought about this and researched and, you know, interviewed professionals who have a difference of opinions and some agree with you. And I've found that um, usually if that type of conversation happens outside the public forum, that I will actually give a little and that person will actually give a little. And so, um, but yeah, just the, the fear mongering, man, like I can't, I literally can't even be around a TV anymore. Like if it, if there's a TV on and it's blaring it, I just, I feel like it's like literally knocking me over. Like I can like feel the fear like coming out of the TV. I like, I feel like I'm falling over and I look at the people and they're just absorbing it. And I just see like their talking points at dinner or on their Facebook posts. And it's just like reality has stopped making sense to me the last year and a half. Like it's almost like everybody's gone crazy. Like, so, um, but yeah, my, my thing is just uh, honest communication on a personal level and then just being aware of all possibilities and preparing. Like on the land right now, I, I'm good with water. I'm good with food. I'm good with, you know, protecting my family and the community with, you know, firearms and ammunition. I'm good at being silent. I'm good at disappearing. Um, I'm good at uh, a lot of things. But if there was, you know, if somebody sprayed some kind of chemical that killed everyone, I'd be dead. You know, so I'm not living in fear that that's going to happen, but like I'm aware that if that did happen, I would be dead. Um, and so that's what I'm talking about. It's like I'm not, I don't limit my life because someone might spray something on my house, but I'm aware yeah. that it could. Yeah. I said for years, you know, you have to have a bit of fatalism in you to live as a healthy human being. And I used to always say I could get hit by a gravel truck today and somebody finally wrote in and said, what the hell do you mean get hit by? Why is it always a gravel truck? I'm like, well, between where I, where my office is and where my house is, is a quarry. So I drive by like 20, you know, gravel trucks, the ones with no suspension. They're just like welded to the axle every day. So it's a reality. I could get hit by a gravel truck. Where do you um, live? You know, and it, it, it's true. Like, and you can't, and that's part of this whole thing with this, uh, with this, this fiasco they call a pandemic, right? Like, you know, you could get sick and you could die. I could, a lot of things could happen. A lot of things could happen. Like I could get in my car, drive to the, the, the corner store and get hit by a gravel truck. A son of a bitch. If I didn't move right next to another materials place, right? Like apparently I like gravel trucks. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's my way to go out, but I'm not going to not go down to the store and pick up a bottle of wine for my guests that are coming over because dude, I was going to have some really great wine for you, but then I thought about it and I could have got hit by a gravel truck. So I didn't do it. Right. Like, you know, but in fact, I, I need you to put a mask on before you come to my house. Like that, that mindset has, it's, it's scary how quickly it's taken people over. And I think it's what we've been hitting on through the whole episode. Like that's because people don't live in reality. If you mm -hmm. lived in reality, you literally could not think that way. Like your brain would just go, no, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do this. Right. Like right. we're more worried about that wolf eating us 
than we are about this thing in this fake box you have. But that's that's where we are. But I'm, I'm glad people are making a difference and doing things. I'm glad you are. How can people learn more about you, your work, these events you're doing, stuff like that? Yeah, just um, on social media, really, Facebook, I'm Paul Reese, R-I-S-S-E. Instagram, same thing, Paul Reese, R-I-S-S-E. Uh, be uh, working on a website for the Line 2 events uh, to be orchestrating those for the next two years. Um, but right now, just reach out to me on social media. Um, and I, I'm going to continue listening to your podcast because I think I've listened to maybe eight to ten episodes now. And the last, the one you did with, uh, was it Ken Berry? Yeah. And then the one on ten things that America needs to do. Both of those were fantastic information. Like, I mean, so congrats to you and like, keep doing it. I'm going to keep listening. I'll, I'll push people to you, man. Um, but yeah, if they want to reach out Facebook or Instagram, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Crypto America is my, um, Twitter. I really never use it. I just kind of watch things, crypto stuff on that. I was going to be a cryptocurrency, uh, news, uh, reporter, uh, about four and a half years ago in Dallas. Um, and uh, then the old Bitcoin crashed and a lot of things disappeared. And a lot of people came, are going to be a lot of things in crypto in 2018 that they yeah, were in 2019. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. 2017, 2018. Those were the, the, yeah. the first big wave. I've got uh, all your your uh, social media uh, queued up in the show notes today for people. So if, uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with uh, Paul, and uh, follow him. Just go by today's episode and down in the show notes, you'll see a section that says Paul's links. And I have his Instagram, his Facebook and his Twitter uh, link there. Paul, I, I really appreciate you being with us today. Jack, I've enjoyed it. And uh, if you're okay with it, I'm going to give my phone number as well. And I've sure. done maybe seven different podcasts now. Um, and I've found that people, if given the opportunity to have a real conversation um, it's been very, very helpful to me and uh, that person. So 940-577-9002. And uh, just shoot me a text first and say, hey, this is uh, Susie or Bob, and here's a question or thought I wanted to talk to you about or an idea. And uh, I'll set up a time to talk with you, and we'll go from there. And, Jack, where do you live at? Uh, I'm in. I'm near Azel. Oh, okay. Like I said, I'm like just down the road, kind of. Yeah. So I'm just outside of Bridgeport, like 15 minutes. Um, yeah. I'd love to meet up with you sometime. Come check out your place, man. Yeah, we can, we can definitely do that. And uh, like I said, these events you're doing, I'm happy to, uh, to help you out with them. I just Q, Q4 is bad, right? <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's balls to the wall work and then it's the workshop accumulates it. And then honest to God, like we all need, to recharge as a battery and like oh, yeah. from Thanksgiving end of year, I, I phone some stuff in and I kind of coast into the new year like a lot of people do. And, uh, but anyway, Paul, I really had a, uh, a great time having you on and, uh, we'll definitely have you back again in the future. Okay. Thanks, Jack. Have a good day. Hope you guys in, uh, enjoyed that interview. I, I really think we need more people like Paul to step up and start making things happen. And we have tons of them in this community, tons of, of them in this community. Um, and a lot of times it does start on social media, Telegram or, you know, wherever. I mean, Telegram seems to be – Telegram and Discord seem to be the two right now that are leading to the largest number of people actually doing things. I just had people at my house this weekend, for instance, um, and, and most of them, I think, came from Telegram. 
And uh, I did a workshop, not a workshop, I did a work with Jack, which was really a work for Jack uh, Saturday this week. And I, did, I didn't put it on the air, you know, but uh, the reason I didn't do it, I only needed like three or four people. And I didn't want to have to say no to like dozens of people. So I just kind of put it out on some social media stuff. And uh, I had a really great group of guys came over and it ended up being three people. We fed them brisket and uh, sausage and had some beers and sat out on the porch and talked after we were done. It was just a little bit of work. But the most interesting part of it was discussing um, what they're doing in life and all the efforts that they're making and how much is going on with one individual in particular uh, with a group in DFW of people like going in, buying you know, hogs together, doing slaughter on site at the producer's facility and splitting up the meat, things like that, and actually getting things done. And that's what we need more of. We need more of people in the real world saying, okay, how can I put together a concept that other people can become part of where we are more than the sum of our parts? Not everybody can handle, let's say, a full, you know, hog, like I was just talking about there, you know, like especially like a bigger one, like a 250, 300-pound animal. Like, a lot of people don't have the storage space for it, and it's expensive to go all in at one time. But four people splitting at a quarter apiece, six people splitting at a sixth of the meat apiece, really, really, you know, more of a bite-sized piece you can break off. And then you develop the relationships, you develop the relationships with the partners, with the producers, etc. So many things like that we can do. And that's the kind of stuff Paul's talking about. Maybe not that specific thing, but knowing your neighbors, working with your neighbors, communicating with your neighbors, and building up the power of community. Anyway, before we go, let me remind you, you can always support this show how? By doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. It's really simple. You go to tspaz.com, you start your shopping there. No matter what you do, you help support us in the work that we do. And if you want to get great deals on great product with high price-to-value ratios, um, then you want to check out all the reviews that I've done there, including today's item of the day. It's made by a company called Hoosier Hill Farms. And these are a great source of just about anything for uh, bulk uh, seasonings, herbs, and spices, and things like that. The item of the day today is uh, their paprika. And you might wonder, why is paprika an item of the day on a survival show? Well, you get a pound of it for like 14 bucks. And what do I try to teach you guys? You know, I try to sum up everything. Whenever possible, get better quality and pay less. That, that's, that's like one of the things you can put into your life that stays valid your entire life. If you can get better quality and pay less, you should do it. Herbs, especially herbs, spices, and things like that are a layup for it. Because most people buy, you know, a two-ounce bottle of uh, paprika, for like four to six dollars if they're gonna get cheap garden variety. And if you're gonna get a really good product, you're gonna pay more in the six, seven dollar a bottle range for a couple ounces. Or you can buy a pound of some of the best paprika you can get, and you can do that for like fourteen bucks here. And it stores almost infinitely. I talk about in the article that you can, you know, vacuum seal it or whatever, and you can but you don't need to. You really don't need to. Uh, paprika stores wonderfully. We go through it fast enough that I don't worry about it. If you maybe go through it a little slower than we do, you can vacuum seal it, and vac especially in ball jars is my favorite way to do it. But honestly, you know, if you if you broke it up into smaller ball jars and put them in a dark, cool place, it's it's got two years in it, and it won't really degrade at all. It's just that kind of a spice. So it's perfect to buy in bulk. You save money, and you get better quality. And again, take that 
and write that into your life right now. That's one of my laws of life. Whenever possible, get better quality and pay less. That's like if you can do that consistently, you put thousands of dollars a year back into your life and have better quality, longer lasting, etc. It's all about value to price ratio. And everything at tspaz.com has been analyzed for that value to price ratio. It's not always the best item. It's always from everything that I've researched and tried and used the best value for the money. That is the way you make smart decisions. Summed up in my actual law of life, always be frugal, never be cheap. With that, let's go ahead and have our song of the day. Remember, we're trying to guess Jack's Pandora channel from which these songs come. And the rules are, I give you clues if I feel like it, and sometimes I don't. I give you the songs four days a week. On Friday, I give you the answer who the channel was based on, or group, or band, or individual, etc., genre the channel was based on. And I give you a link to close my channel, assuming you liked my channel. Right? This is the last week we're going to do this for a while anyway. Today's song is Open Road by John Cafferty in the Beaver Brown Band. And if you're like, who the hell is John Cafferty? Cafferty I don't know. If you ever saw the old movie made back in the 80s, Eddie and the Cruisers, or Eddie and the Cruisers 2, um... Then you know John Cafferty. John Cafferty did the soundtracks for those movies. He's a very bluesy, kind of old-school-sounding music. Uh, kind of like late 60s, early 70s bluesy music is, is kind of the, the style that you got here. And these movies, again, came out in the late 80s. And um, so that was nostalgic even then. Now we're, you know, another 30 years into the future with it. It's still great music. Now, here's your clue for today. The artist that the channel is based on, really didn't like John Cafferty directly anyway at all. Much closer in sound to, like I said, the opening stanza in Kansas's Carry On My Wayward Son yesterday. However, this song... Now, I have a lot of John Cafferty on this channel, right? And John Cafferty is at least in the same time frame, etc., all that. But um, the song Open Road fits uniquely... And that the person, the artist that this channel is based on certainly has some music about open roads uh, and kind of that whole hitting the road, going fast type thing. One in particular that's part of his seminal work probably just gave it away. If not, you'll get some more information tomorrow. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>